Amen. Well, thank you for that special. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and take them and turn to Colossians chapter number 2. Colossians chapter 2. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to preach tonight, and I enjoyed doing that. And uh, Colossians chapter 2 number, uh, Colossians chapter 2 tonight, I heard a story about an old church that was getting ready to uh, celebrate its 200th anniversary. And uh, they were preparing for that celebration when disaster struck. They found out that their bell ringer was going to be out of town and there wouldn't be someone there to ring the church bells on that anniversary Sunday. Well, the pastor immediately put out an advertisement calling uh, for someone to come and fill in. They needed another bell ringer. It was urgent and the replacement finally arrived. And when he did, the pastor took him up the bell tower. They went round and round up the stairs, 150 feet up to where the bells were. And they were huffing and puffing all their way up. And just as they reached the top, the bell ringer tripped on the platform. And with his face, planted it into the bell. And this, you know, this big boing was going off. Dazed by the blow, he fell backwards. He broke the railing, fell down the stairs. Thankfully, he wasn't hurt, just stunned. But the pastor thought, man, I need to call an ambulance. So he called the ambulance, and the doctor came. And when the doctor came, they said, do you know this man's name? The pastor said, no, but his face sure rings a bell. <laughs> you know, in that moment, the pastor was uncertain of that man's identity. He didn't know who he was, uh, never got his name. Uh, but this evening, I'd like to look at our identity in Christ. That's what I want to focus on this evening, our identity in Christ. Who are we in Christ? What does the Bible say about it? I think it's important for us as Christians to understand uh, that truth and that concept. And so if you have your Bibles, you're there in Colossians chapter 2. If you would stand with me, we're going to read uh, a couple of verses here this evening, then we'll jump in. And look at this, but we'll start in verse number one. It says, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be... Uh, absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. 
And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, one of the concerning trends that we see taking place in our country and really all over the world is this matter of gender identity. And, and this confusion that seems to be prevailing more and more among young people about who they are, specifically what gender they are. I had to look it up today because I've lost track, but according to the experts, there are 68 genders. You know, the list continues to grow. That's the scary part. But you know, the term for this is gender dysphoria. And dysphoria, it's a clinical term that... Uh, is used for unease or dissatisfaction. These individuals, they're unsatisfied, they're dissatisfied with the gender that God made them to be. And so they choose to identify with a different gender that they prefer. Social media and the entertainment industry now celebrate this gender fluidity as if it's some sort of enlightenment from the biblical view of gender and how God made us to be. Celebrities who identify as transgender are making headlines. Drag queens are leading story time at public schools and public libraries. You have men who are competing in women's sports and using public restrooms of their non-biological sex. It's a mess. They're confused. They don't understand who they are. They don't understand who God made them to be. And you know, as concerning as gender dysphoria is, I've noticed another concerning trend, and that's a trend among Christians. And I, I labeled it spiritual dysphoria. It's a dissatisfaction with our identity in Christ. It's a dissatisfaction with who we are according to God's word. And rather than embracing who the Bible says we are, we look for other identities elsewhere. We look to the world. We look to their trends. We look to the lifestyles that are contrary to God's word rather than embracing our biblical identity. You know, each one of us are unique. Each one of us were made with unique personalities, some extra unique, uh, unique features, unique gifts, unique abilities. You know, there are no two of us that are the same. You know, things as simple as our fingerprints illustrate that. There's no two identical fingerprints. But despite the obvious truths of our God-given uniqueness, each one of us, I think, have sensed at some point in our life a desire for an identity that's our own. We, we want to feel special. We want to be unique. And it's funny how we express that in trying to be like everybody else. It's like, especially you look at teenagers, right? They want to express themselves. They want to be unique. Well, how come your clothes match the same as everybody else's? Uh, we haven't quite figured that out. But someone said, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. Um, but you know, you think about your identity. How do you identify yourself? How do you describe who you are to somebody else? You know, a lot of times the first place we start is with our name, but then the next place that we tend to go with that is what we do for a living. You know, what our job is, or I'm a this, or I'm a that. You know, the world tells us our identity is found without. It's, it's, your identity is based on what you do. You know, men especially, we tend to derive our identity from our occupation. And the reason people tend to do that is because the world identifies you by what you do. Whether it's your job, your occupation, could be even uh, your hobbies, right? If you are one who enjoys running, you're a runner. If you enjoy quilting, you're a quilter. If you enjoy video games, you're a gamer. If you enjoy hunting and fishing, you're an outdoorsman. You get the idea. 
Sometimes we identify people by, uh, or people identify themselves with a disease or a medical condition that they have. They're paralyzed, they're an amputee, they're a diabetic, they're a cancer survivor, whatever it may be. You know, the world even uses uh, not so great behaviors to identify people. Maybe they're a drunk, maybe they're a criminal, maybe they're a drug addict, maybe they're a, a prostitute or a thief or a gambler. They, they use what they do uh, to identify them, and those lists are endless. I mean, we could go on and on in each one of those areas and describe uh, how, how we may identify somebody and say, well, what's the point? Well, the point is this. The way the world assigns identity is outside in. It's based on what you do. That's who you are. According to the world, your identity is a function of what you do. Your actions determine who you are. But as Christians, our identity is not found in what we do. It's found in what Christ did and who we are in him. And, you know, it's so important that we understand that because understanding our biblical identity is foundational to experiencing victorious Christian living. If you don't understand who you are in Christ, you're never going to understand how to live victoriously. And I think you could look at a lot of the things that we struggle with. You could look at a lot of the issues uh, that, that Christians deal with and they battle. And I really think at the root of most of those issues, it's an identity issue. It's an identity issue. Think about it. Insecurity at its root is an identity issue. We're seeking to gain the approval of someone rather than properly understanding our acceptance in Christ. And it has crippling effects. We live and die by the approval or the disapproval of someone else. We're scared uh, to make decisions because we're not sure what they might think, if they'll approve, if they won't approve. And so we don't do anything. We're insecure. Think about pride at its root is an identity issue. The reason we're so easily offended, the reason that we seek to defend ourselves, the reason that we promote our flesh is because we don't have a proper understanding of the truth that we're crucified with Christ, that we're dead to self. Think about depression. Think about discouragement. It's an identity issue. We think that we're alone. We think that we're forgotten. We feel like nobody cares. We've lost sight of our union with Christ. We've lost sight of the fact that uh, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And we're looking to satisfy our emotional and our spiritual longings with fleshly means. See, as Christians, our identity is not something that's found without. It's found in Christ who lives within. You could say it this way. Maybe, Maybe you've heard this somewhere before, but it's inside out. It's an inside out issue. And Paul is dealing with this here in the book of Colossians, as he does in a lot of other places, with our identity and who we are in Christ. You see, there were all of these false teachers that were trying to convince these believers that their acceptance was found outside of Christ. Their acceptance before God, uh, it wasn't found in Jesus alone. Faith in Christ, that wasn't enough. You needed faith in Christ plus this. Faith in Christ plus that. They were teaching that in addition to Christ, you needed to keep all of these other rules, all of these other traditions. You need to observe all of these other days in order to make sure that you merited favor in God's sight. But Paul is emphasizing these are all lies. And he sums it up best in verse number 10 where he says, and ye are complete in him. You're complete in Christ. Everything you're looking for, everything you're seeking to satisfy can be found in Christ. Our identity isn't something that's earned. It's not something that's merited. It's not something that's deserved. It's something that is to be accepted and lived. 
And so this evening, I'd like you to notice three truths about our identity. Three truths about our identity. If you're taking notes here, you write this down. Number one, we see that our, our identity is stated in God's word. It's stated in God's word. Look at what he says here in these verses. He says, um, let's, let's start at verse number three. He says, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joining and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Paul's exhorting these believers, he says in verse number four, don't be fooled by their enticing words. Don't be fooled by the words of these false teachers. He's, he gives them several warnings in verse number 8. He warns them about the philosophy, about the tradition of men, about the rudiments of this world. And he, he mentions there the philosophy. You know, a true philosopher is a seeker of truth. And the problem with the philosophy that Paul is warning against is it was a philosophy that was looking to man's wisdom. It, it was looking to, to human wisdom. But truth isn't found in human wisdom. It's found in the word of God. That's why he tells these believers in verse number three, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, the culture that we live in, it's full of self-help books. It's full of philosophies built on human reasoning as to what life's all about, how you can find happiness, how you can find fulfillment in life, how to live your best life now. And that appeals to our flesh. That appeals to our human thinking. But trying to make it through life based on Human wisdom and understanding. Someone said it's like a blind man and looking in a dark room for a black cat that's not there. You're not going to find it. It's, an, it's, a, it's a futile search. It's a hopeless search for truth. And so he warns them, don't be, uh, don't be beguiled. Don't be fooled by their, their traditions, but also uh, their philosophy. But then he also warns them about the traditions of men. You know, Jesus was one of the harshest critics of the religious rulers of his day. It was because they taught traditions of men rather than the word of God. They put an emphasis on uh, what they said and what their rules were. You know, Paul, he was once a religious leader, but you know what he understood? He understood that people don't need religion. People don't need a works-based religion. People need Jesus. And that's what he was preaching to them. They don't need a set of sacraments to keep. They don't need five pillows to follow. They need Jesus. And that was his message. And one of the false teachings that Paul was confronting in Colossae was this idea that people didn't just need Jesus, that they needed Jesus plus the Jewish rituals. They needed Jesus plus this super knowledge that the Gnostics were uh, saying that they had. Paul's warning them, beware of those who tell you that what you need are the traditions of men. Those who seek to get you to follow after their traditions rather than the word of God. But not only does he warn against philosophies and traditions, but he warns against the rudiments of the world. Again, he's emphasizing the corruption that accompanies the world system. You know, the world wants you to behave like they do. They want you to embrace what they do. It's not good enough that you just allow it to happen. Uh, you got you to be for it. You got to support it. The false teachers were not calling these Colossae believers to completely abandon their faith in Christ. They were calling them to embrace their system of beliefs. You know, the world and Satan, they don't need you to completely abandon your faith in Christ. They just need to convince you that you can have Jesus end their system. 
That's one of the biggest lies people fall for. You know, I can be a Christian and still drink with my buddies like I used to. I can be a Christian and not go to church. I can be a Christian and dress however I want. I can be a Christian and live however I want because I'm under grace. I have license to do whatever I want. Listen, if you're talking about eternal security, sure, you can do all those things and still be a Christian. But that way of life is not the way that God designed it to be for a Christian. And so Christ in the rudiments of the world, he's saying don't go together. They're contrary one to another. James, he tells us in James 4 and verse 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And so Paul is warning these believers of these false teachers that are going to try to spoil them through these means. And so instead, look at what Paul exhorts them to, uh, to do. He says in verse number six and seven, he says, As ye have therefore received Christ, he says, just like it was given to you, just like it was taught you, just like we showed you in the scriptures, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, as ye have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. What's he saying? He's saying stick to what you've been taught. Stick to how you, were, you received Christ. Stick, you can say it this way, because his teachings are inspired through the word of God. Stick with the word of God. Stick to what God says. You know, the first step in understanding our identity in Christ is to know what the Bible says about it. What does God say about who I am? What does the Bible say about who I am in Christ? You know, the Bible is full of wonderful promises and truths about who we are in Christ. You know, if you have a Christ Walk journal, there's a, a portion in there that talks about the believer's resume. And, it, and it's a, just a small snapshot of who we are in Christ. It, it points out our, our identity in Christ. And I'll just read a couple of these here this evening. But it, it reminds us that I have Christ's power and authority. I'm holy. I'm blameless. I'm beyond reproach. In Christ, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I've been made complete in Christ. I'm delivered from the domain of darkness and have been transformed to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In Christ, I'm now God's temple. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. God's power has given me everything pertaining to life and godliness. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. God's grace is always greater than my sin. I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm no longer under condemnation. I'm crucified with Christ and Christ lives in me. I have the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. I've not been given the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Hey, nothing can separate me from the love of God. I have, an, I have authority and power over all the power of the enemy. God has promises that all things will work together for my good. Greater is he that is in me than he who's in the world. I'm more than a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hey, death has no right to me. Sin has no right to me. Satan has no right to me. Victory is secured. And listen, the list can go on and on and on. We could be here all night going through these. I have pages of these things. But you know, we need to understand what does the Bible say about who I am? What does the Bible state is my identity in Christ? Somebody said, we're not who we think we are. We're not who other people think we are. We're often who we think other people think we are. But you know, the reality for the believer is that we're who Christ says we are. Amen. We're who the Bible says we are. We, have, we are who Christ says we are in him, but we're never going to understand that if we don't read what is stated in God's word about our reality, our, our identity. And so we see not only is our identity stated in God's word, but here's the other part, number two, if you're taking notes, it was settled, it's settled on Christ's work. It's settled on Christ's work. You know, who we are is not found in what we've done. It's not found in any of our merits. It's not found because we're somebody special. 
You know, our natural tendency is to try to search for our identity in external things, right? We look to our job to find an identity. We look to a career, to a relationship status, to our appearance, to our our grades, our reputations, our financial status. We look to all these external things to try to uh, find who we are, to try to identify ourselves. And all of these may feel like solid foundations, but you know, none of those are permanent. None of those are going to last forever. Any of them could change without warning. And so if you are basing your identity on things like success and wealth and power and physical appearance and so on, you're setting yourself up for a pretty great disappointment. Because all of a sudden, you lose a job and you start questioning your choices in life. One piece of gossip is aimed your way and it can destroy your reputation, even if it's not true. Your appearance, guess what? The older you get, you don't get much prettier. And so each one of these things, too, the other problem is they center around a preoccupation with self. They're focused on uh, who we are and and self-preoccupation. It puts us at the center of everything. And it hinges on us because it's all about you. And so we focus on ourselves because we're looking without. We actually end up looking within. Right? And so it becomes that our parenting's all about us. Our job's all about us. Uh, Everything's about you. That person who looked at you funny in the lobby. All of those things are a determination of, of our value and our worth because we're looking to external things. And so what's the result? The result is the stakes become impossibly high to meet. And you're never satisfied. You're never able to feel like you've ever accomplished or you've ever met the standard that you've created that you were never meant to meet. And so the reason that Christians aren't enjoying the freedom and they're not enjoying the joy or they're not experiencing the joy that's found in Christ is because they're not living for Christ. They're living for these other things. They're living for themselves, whether or not they realize it. You know, that type of person, they're living for themselves. They're living for you because you've made everything about you, your job, your marriage, your parenting, your reputation. We can even make our faith about us. And what I do and and where I serve and I'm in this and I'm involved in that. And we've made it inward focused where it's all about us. It's all about our ministry and what we do. You know, Paul tells us where our identity is found by using the phrase over and over and over again. And that is in him. He says it's in him. Our identity is not found in us. It's not found without. It's found in him. He uses it some 160 times in his letters. And here in Colossians, he uses it 19 different times where he's talking about all these phrases and and they're in him. He says here, we're complete in him. We're buried with him. We're risen with him. We're quickened together with him. And his point is that our identity is not determined on what we've done, but it's based on what Christ has done for us. Why does God love me? Why does God pour out his blessings on me? Why does God forgive me? Is it because I deserve God's love? No, it's because of what Jesus has done. And Christ's work on the cross forever settled who you and I are in, Christ, in him before God. You know, before we got saved, the Bible says we stood condemned. But now, Paul says we stand complete. What an awesome thought. Who can tell me? that i got to add something to my faith or I've got to do any kind of other deal in order to gain God's favor when he tells me that I'm complete. When, when the head of all principality and power has told me I'm complete in him. And you think about what's settled. Our salvation was settled in Christ. Your righteousness in Christ was complete. Your salvation in Christ is complete. You can't add to it. You can't improve it. It's complete. 
It's settled in Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3, and verse 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Listen, salvation was never about you. It was never about you. It was never about what you could do. It was never about your good works. It was never about your efforts. They were all worthless. But what Christ did was perfect. It was complete. And your salvation in Christ is settled, but also your acceptance is settled. Your acceptance is settled. You know, how many times have we endeavored, even as Christians, to try to please God to the point that we come to the altar and we say, God, I'm going to do better. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to tell more people about Jesus. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. And listen, all those things are good, but you know, none of those earn any more acceptance in God's sight. Do you know God can't love you any more than he does right now? God can't accept you any more than he does right now. Our acceptance is complete in Christ. Those are just lousy attempts to use our own self-effort and our own works to try to gain acceptance before God. But would to God we realize that we are, our acceptance is settled in Christ. We don't have to look for it somewhere else. Listen, if you're saved, you can't be any more saved than you already are. You can't be any more righteous in God's sight than you already are. Your completeness your, is, is settled in Christ. It's based on what Christ has done. It's not a status to be achieved. It's a fact that we're to be enjoying, that we're to be experiencing. And so we see when it comes to our identity that it's stated in God's word. It's settled on Christ's work. But here's the last one. Notice our identity is what sustains us in this world. It's what sustains us in this world. You know, too many Christians are trying to live the Christian life apart from their identity in Christ. Like I said earlier, I think most of the things we struggle with at their root, their identity issues. And I'll tell you one that I feel like I see over and over again is this matter of insecurity. We're insecure because we don't realize who we are in Christ. And it manifests itself in all types of ways. There's physical insecurities. How do I look? Am I attractive? Am I pretty? Am I overweight? Am I underweight? How's my hair look? I don't have that problem. How do my clothes look? Am I being too loud? You know, there's emotional insecurities, right? You know, well, if I get close to that person, they might hurt me. If I open up to my spouse, they'll judge me. You know, I, you know I've been hurt in the past. I've been burned in the past. I don't think I can trust anybody. You know, you got marital inse uh, material insecurities. You know, why don't I have a bigger house? Hey, she's got a bigger diamond on her ring than I do on mine. How are they on their third trip to Disney World already? What do they think about my old beat-up car? You know, we have relational insecurities. You know, does anybody want to be with me? Why doesn't anybody want to marry me? Do people want to be around me? Why do people seem to avoid me? When I, talk, uh, when I walk into a full room, why am I so overwhelmed? We have spiritual insecurities. Am I spiritual enough? Have I done enough to please God today? Why don't I feel God's presence more? Am I truly saved? Why don't I have more faith? They know more, why do they know more of the Bible than I do? And we have all these insecurities because we don't understand who we are in Christ. We're trying to find security and acceptance and belonging outside of who Christ says that we are. And so what happens then is these insecurities, they morph into fears and they turn into doubts and then they become this crippling anxiety and we can't do anything. We don't go forward in our faith. See, Christians who don't understand who they are in Christ are going to believe Satan's lie that you're standing before God is based on your behavior. 
That it's something you have to merit. And that's the false philosophy that Paul's combating here. Satan will try to convince you that true worth is found in the approval and the recognition of others. And you know, that's a terrible way to live. That's a terrible way to live. God's design is that we base our behavior on our new identity in Christ. He has, as believers, we're free from those labels that the world wants to put on us. We're free from having to conform to their system. Paul's saying, stop trying to live according to the world system and live according to what your identity is in Christ. Stop allowing what you do to define who you are. And Paul goes on, he tells us, he says uh, that we were buried with Christ, we're quickened with him. Look at verse uh, number 12 and 13. He says uh, that we're buried with him in baptism, wherein also you're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh hath he uh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiving, forgiven all your trespasses. Listen, when you got saved, you were brought into union with Christ. That means you're a partaker with him. You're, you're, you're included uh, with what he's done, with his death and with his resurrection. But here's another thing. That means that we're also partakers in his victory. Look at what he says in verse 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Listen, Christians who don't understand who they are in Christ will believe the lie that they're weak and that they're victims to their circumstances. That they're victims to the forces that are outside of them. And as a result, they feel powerless to do anything. They feel like nothing's ever going to change. I'm never going to see a difference in my life. But that's a lie. Listen, you are not a victim. According to the Bible, we're victors. We're victors. That's what Jesus, that's what Jesus was. Jesus lives inside of us. We're a partaker with him. And guess what? He says so. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, he says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do you understand the kind of power that we have access to? Do you understand the the, the power that that, that is available to you and I as believers? Listen, Jesus... He wouldn't be defeated by your current circumstances. He wouldn't be defeated by your trials that you're going through. And so if he wouldn't be defeated by those circumstances and those trials, why are we? (laughs) He lives within us. We have that same power and that same authority accessible to us. See, God, the very creator of the universe and everything that it contains, lives inside of you. You don't have to let your trials define you. You don't have to let your circumstances define you. You don't have to let your hurts define you. You don't have to let your past define you. Let God and his word define who you are. Let God's word define your identity. Understand our identity is what sustains you in this world. Listen, life is hard. Life has its struggles. Life has its difficulties. Life has its challenges. But when you understand who you are in Christ, it's liberating. It's freeing. When I understand my identity in Christ, it frees me from the pressures of having to live for the approval of other people. When I understand who I am in Christ, it frees me from having to care about what other people think. 
It frees me from having to compare myself to the standards of another. It frees me from having to feel the need to defend and to prove my self-worth. It frees me from preoccupation with myself. You say, what does a believer who understands their, their, their identity in Christ look like? Well, I wrote down just a couple characteristics of that. But a believer who understands their true identity in Christ, they're no longer chasing after desires of the flesh, but instead they're seeking to bring glory to God in all areas of their life. You see, when we're not seeking to find our identity in Christ alone, we seek for it in something else. We look for it in other places, a career, a relationship, a mer- uh, materials, uh, things, a status. But when our identity is found in, eternal thi- in the eternal things of Christ, we're not going to be crushed by our failures and our weaknesses. We're not going to fall into pride from worldly success or despair of our disappointments or tragedies. We don't get lost uh, seeking the attractive but empty things that the world offers because Christ gives us stable and eternal hope in a world that's full of unstable hopelessness. We don't chase after the desires of flesh. Here's another characteristic. A believer who understands their identity no longer fears the future. They don't fear the future. Listen, if Christ is the source of our peace, we have nothing to fear. If our eternity is secure as his children, we don't need to fear financial collapse. We don't need to fear uh, losing a job. We don't need to fear getting COVID. We don't need to fear being ridiculed for our faith. Our confidence is in our Heavenly Father who's sovereign over every moment of our life and and will equip us for every single thing that he ordains in our life. And when we understand our identity, we can trust that he's going to provide every need that we have. He's going to meet the needs that we have. Our our identity in Christ, it's given us direct access to our Heavenly Father that we can call on in confidence and complete trust in times of difficulty and need. And so we don't need to fear the future. Here's another characteristic. They have no need to judge or compare themselves to others when they're seeking to please Christ alone. You know, comparing ourselves to others and or judging the decisions that others make, man, it sucks the joy right out of your life. Seeking to have the approval of others, it creates insecurity in our choices because we're wanting to please somebody else rather than pleasing God. But a person whose identity is found in Christ, they don't compare their gifts and blessings to somebody else's gift and blessings. We're all created with a purpose of glorifying God in our own unique ways. You know, one person, they can fulfill, uh, they're, they're filled with creativity, while another person, they glorify God with their voice. Some, somebody glorifies God as a CEO, and another person glorifies God as a custodian. Amen. One person can glorify God with their family, another person can glorify God through their singleness. See, we've got to seek to glorify Christ with the gifts and the talents that he's given to us. Yeah. Rather than comparing what he's given to somebody else or what somebody else has and what I don't have. Listen, uh, trying to do that is a joy-sucking pursuit of trying to be somebody God never created you to be. Don't miss the blessing of serving Christ where you are and who, as who he created you to be. Amen. Here's another characteristic. This kind of person who understands their identity in Christ isn't going to be surprised when suffering comes. They're not going to be surprised when suffering comes, but rather they'll be confident that it's going to produce things of eternal value. Amen. If my identity is in Christ, and I know that one day I'm going to be identifying with him in his sufferings. I know they're going to come. I know trials are going to come. But just as Christ's sufferings were not hopeless and wasted, neither will mine be. Not only does suffering sanctify us, but we have the assurance as his children that he's actively using that for our good and his glory. 
See, everyone suffers, but a believer who, identi- who understands their identity in Christ can look back on their sufferings with thankfulness and joy for how God used it. So it's so important that we understand our identity. It's what sustains us in this world. It's stated in God's word. It's settled uh, in Christ's work, and it sustains us in this world. So you, yeah, the question has to be asked, are you living by the identity that God has given you? Or are you living by the identity the world has given you? Are you believing the lies of the enemy about who you are? Remember, Satan, he's the accuser of the brethren. He's going to tell you you're a loser, that your behaviors define you. He say, how do I know if I'm living by a false identity? Well, do you struggle with insecurity? You say, well, I'm not afraid of it. Well, you know, it can manifest itself in all kinds of ways. You know, some people, it can be compliance, assuming blame, defiance, never admitting wrong, avoiding attention, demanding attention, fear, all kinds of things. But the real test is, where are you looking for your approval? Where, are you looking for approval in others? Are you looking for it in your spouse, in your children, in your spiritual leaders, from your parents? Where does your comfort and security come from? Does it come from a paycheck? Does it come from a job title? Does it come from... Your material possessions? Does it come from the affirmation of other people? See, looking to identify with anything outside the Word of God, that's a false identity. Amen. That's not who Christ designed for you to be. You know, as you think about the Bible and you look back on the different individuals in the Bible, you ever stop to think about how many times God changed people's identities? And how God changed who they were? You know, they view themselves one way and God reveals to them who they really were in his estimation. I think about Gideon, so scared of the Midianites, he's hiding by a wine press, threshing his wheat because he's afraid they're going to come take it. And what happens? An angel of the Lord appears to him and, and calls him a mighty man of valor. I don't know about you, but to me, Gideon was acting anything like a mighty man of valor. But God saw who he was, and he finally saw himself the way God saw him, and God used him to deliver the Israelites. You think about Abraham and Sarah. Abram and Sarah, uh, you know, they, they weren't, it was impossible for them to have children. But God said in Genesis 17, verse 5, Neither shall thy name be any more called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. Think about Jacob. Jacob was a deceiver. He was a schemer. He was a supplanter. He was a liar. But God changed who Jacob was. He made him a prince with God. He said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, thou hast power with God and with men and hast prevailed. You know, Satan will tell you you're a loser. He'll tell you you're a nobody. But you know, to God, you matter. To God, you're somebody. And the Bible tells us exactly who we are. We're a new creature. We're the righteousness of God in him. We're rich in Christ. We're accepted in the beloved. We're free from sin. We're a joint heir with Christ. And the list goes on and on and on. Can I encourage you this evening? Stop trying to be like somebody else. Stop trying to find your identity in something or someone else. Instead, be who God created you to be and who God says that you are. Let's all stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.